0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. God is going to show up for us, and God is going to engage with us in these stories if we're open to them. And God's going to move us to a different place than where we are right now by sharing our stories, we enable one another and encourage one another and empower one another to have greater faith, you know? Um, And uh, I I think there's real great hope in, in that, that these stories still continue today. Yeah, so we all have these great stories. Hey, he appeared to me also. Here's my story, here's what happened. Take it or not, but that's what happened. There are a lot of different people that Jesus shows himself to, and it was an amazing thing, time and time and time again, how Jesus showed that. and I think he's, he's looking forward to doing that today. Good morning, Schweitzer. Good morning. So I get to talk about death to death and captivity captive. Okay. I had a nice polished sermon prepared for the day. It was about waiting on the Lord with joy and patience and all the sorts of other wonderful things, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But then on Saturday morning, I woke up at 4 a.m., and I was thinking about two events, And the prayer that came to my mind as I was thinking about those events was, Jesus, please break my heart for what breaks yours. Oh, why did I pray that? Oh, almost immediately I started crying. I typed and sobbed for hours on this sermon that I'm preaching now. We'll talk about forgiveness more later, but part of my restitution to the Lord is preaching this sermon. (laughs) Okay. But, so I had to frantically rewrite this and get it in front of our wonderful worship teams, right, so that they could kind of scramble around and get ready for it. I brought a couple handkerchiefs with me just in case. I start sobbing like a baby like I did yesterday morning, looking once again unprofessional in front of you, which I hate doing. But I haven't needed them since I asked forgiveness. We'll talk more about that later. So since 2012, I have tried really hard to be a Jesus-following professional who churches and businesses would stand in line for to pay, to be a consultant, a speaker, and a trainer. Yeah, go ahead and laugh. You can laugh a lot in here because I think that's exactly what God was doing yesterday morning and probably right now. So, uh, but after my family ran out of money trying to pursue that event in 2012, Jesus seemed to go quiet for me for about four years. And the only time I really felt his presence was when I was in this building, worshiping, when Jesus seemed to take great pleasure dragging me, frankly, kicking and screaming on the inside, which I think, I theorize, that's where the tears come from, is my flesh going, no, 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 no! Anyway, dragging me to publicly do unusual acts of worship that I was confident would make every business owner in the room think that I am an unstable emotional person who is likely to do some embarrassing outbursts at unpredictable times, definitely not somebody you would bring in as a consultant. Yeah, you're getting God's sense of humor. Thanks. Well, perhaps some of you have heard me selfishly refer to those moments as, once again, Jesus has slaughtered me there's my explanation of that statement that I say to people, because they usually look at me like, what are you talking about? Well, frankly, I did not want to be the facilities director at this church in early 2017 when I was asked. But a dear friend told me, he took me aside and said, look, being a Levite in charge of the temple is a vital role in the church, and uh, I hope you're not too arrogant and proud to think otherwise. I was. Probably to some extent still am, if I was really deeply honest. Hmm. But less than yesterday. Thank you, Lord. Okay, you know what? I really did not want to be the outreach director at Schweitzer, which is now called the community impact director. I stepped in that position five months ago. Uh, so, from 2013 until the time I became the outreach director, I kind of did exactly the, what most of you do. You know, I went to a job all week that I could mostly tolerate, and I worked hard, and I did some comfortable, challenging ministries here at Schweitzer, and I tried to maintain margin in my life and enjoy life. I really did not want to get sucked into the heartache, bottomless pit of helping people out of addiction and out of poverty. Frankly, I've been there, done that in my life, and didn't want to do it again. I really don't want to be standing here right now talking about my junk in front of you. But I haven't cried yet. Woohoo! <laughs> yet, when I give in and do those things that Jesus puts before me, I experience the most glorious moments of my life. Recently, during a prayer time, a good friend told me, you know, David, it doesn't get any better than it is right now because you're in the middle of God's will. And no matter what happens for the rest of life, as long as you are in the middle of God's will, life is the same wonderful. I wholeheartedly agree. That'd preach. So why is it? that my flesh still fights Jesus so hard and I have to kick it shaking and crying to do what I am supposed to do. I'm hoping some of you can kind of relate. I'm not just preaching to myself the whole time here. Anyway, so I woke up Saturday morning thinking about two stories, all right? The first was the story that Byron Pitts told Friday night at a fundraiser for yet another great ministry that is trying to help people. So as community impact director, I was invited to go attend this and see if there's any way Schweitzer can get involved. Right? That's something I do for you. Two to three times a week, I get to interact with wonderful ministries who are desperately looking for people and churches to partner with them. It's kind of cool to get to know all those people. Anyway, Byron told a story. He told the story of giving an inspirational speech in his hometown, of somewhere and he got finished and an 11 year old girl came up to him after that inspirational speech and actually he saw her, she was waiting in line, she waited till everybody went away and then she came up to him and she said, I, I get the inspiration part and all that but where did you go? Where did you hide in the city when the world hurts too much? And he went, he, he went on to tell the kind of story that frankly I am sick of hearing about that girl. I mean, he told her story. And if you want to know the kind of story I'm talking about, I'm talking about, I recommend the book A Child Called It by Dave Pelzer. And if you can stand to read it. And if you can stand it, read the whole series by Dave Pelzer, his story. Anyway, Byron closed his story by saying, no 11-year-old child should have to ask that question, where do I hide in the city when the world hurts too much? And I agree. I No adult should have to ask that question, much less an 11-year-old girl. Okay, the second story happened this week. Once again, someone's addictive escape patterns caused drama in one of our ministries, and frankly, it greatly inconvenienced me. Yeah, I mean, it inconvenienced others too, but I was struggling with my attitude because it greatly inconvenienced me. I had a sermon to prepare for Pete's sake. You should laugh at that one. Yeah, I I think God was going, oh, will he ever get it? Uh, Yeah. So at 4 a.m. Saturday morning, woke up, those two stories came together with something that Frederick Douglass wrote in 1855. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Okay, so he was using the universal use of men, so we can make that a little easier on our modern ears, right? By saying, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken people. Oh, I agree. In that moment, just the overwhelming complexities of poverty and addiction came slamming in, and, and I'm in the middle of it. Lord, what can I do? I mean, especially since I mean, I'm the way I am. and you know, Okay, you know, frankly, many people come up and they ask me, hey, how's your new position in the church going? And I reply, it's going well. It's true. I, I get to be in the middle of these 14 ministries and wonderful people doing amazing things. I think if you brought anybody else, any of the uh, uh, paid and unpaid ministers in this church up here to tell the story of their ministries, they would tell of the, of the challenge and the, you know, the, the just vast overwhelming challenges we face. We all know that. This world is complex. It's very, it's hard. We want to get solutions so badly and yet they seem to be beyond us. Well, the main problem is, I mean, when you get down to the root core of all those systemic, societal, personal challenges, I'm the problem. I am selfish. As James 3 says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So all these problems that we desperately want to solve, most of us in this room are addicted to jealousy and selfish ambition, whether we will acknowledge that to ourselves or not. And we contribute to the very things we're trying to solve. Me getting frustrated because somebody needed help, only contributed to the challenge, not the solution. Well, on that happy note, let's run to Jesus. So, I, I, we're not gonna project the scripture today, because frankly, I want us to kind of put ourselves 2,000 years ago, and you know that didn't exist. So, imagine with me, if you will, that we are all in some non-Jewish nation, We are gathered, maybe in secret. Uh, We've started believing in Jesus. And you know, there's just not a whole lot of information. Every once in a while, we get a traveling person who comes through with a letter that was written by one of the apostles, and they read it to us. And we're just desperate. We're hungry for that letter because we realize the challenges around us. Our friends and our relatives, some of them have been killed for this faith. And we're desperate. So if, if you will imagine we're there, Uh, I get to be the traveling reader. And we all get to be the people who are desperately listening to this. So uh, we got this letter from Luke, okay? I'm bringing you this letter from Luke. We've been reading it for about an hour in rapt attention, the great story of Jesus' birth. Um, Oh boy, Uh, I'm gonna try to summarize here. Let me find my (laughs) place. We've heard that Jesus loves all people. Especially in the parables, we're convinced of Jesus' concern for the poor and oppressed and, and more than that as, as we're reading this letter we're just getting overwhelmed with, with kind of the joy of all that Jesus did even though we're kind of down to the last of the letter and we're a little puzzled and perplexed about what was going on in the crucifixion and the sightings with Jesus and wondering what does him appearing to all these people have to do with us is he going to appear to us also because we really need it oh we need him so here we go I've, so y'all, in traveling around to all the other towns, I've realized there's some trouble in trying to discern Jesus' words versus Luke's narration, so I'm going to stand here for Luke's narration, and I'm going to stand over here for Jesus' words, so, as I've been doing for the past hour. Luke's narration. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What must that have been like? And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out, as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, I, I guess we'd probably do this too, uh, boy, they were worshiping him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually praising God in the temple. That's the last in the book. Isn't that amazing? Uh... The word of God for the people of God. Oh. Okay. Thanks for imagining that with me. Let's talk through this scripture a little bit. So he 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 told them basically: look, the work is done. Really, the hard, hard part, death has been put to death. I took captivity captive. Now there's a little bit of a mission for you. You get to be a part of it. Yeah. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Oh. So yesterday morning, I finished up this sermon. My wife finally, she she came down and found me and was fixing some food. And I went up, I tried to preach through this once to see if I could, and, and I couldn't get past the first paragraph. I started sobbing again. So I went up to her and I said, Colette, I'm, I don't know if I could do this. Will you be my backup reader? And she, my wife's wonderful. She said, yes. She goes, what's going on? I said, I, I'm trying to read it, but I keep sobbing. She said, oh, well, have you asked forgiveness? Oh, duh. No, I haven't. I teach people to ask forgiveness. And frankly, I have found incredible forgiveness when I, something like that starts weighing on me. I just think about it over and over, especially if I wake up in the night thinking of something that I said to somebody and realizing, oh, maybe that hurt them. The, the key is forgiveness. And because of Jesus, forgiveness works. So I'm going to tell you the five steps I went through because asking forgiveness really helps if you do these five things. Admit what you did. I admitted what I did. I expressed regret I offered restitution how can I undo what I did or pay the bill or whatever you know if I put a hole in your yard I need to fix that hole and then my repentance my plan for change my plan for making sure this never happens to you again and I never damage our relationship like this again And then the ask for forgiveness. Will you please continue, risk continuing in relationship with me as we move towards our new normal? (laughs) What it's going to look like from this point forward. So I did that. Okay, Colette sat down with me. It's wonderful. I I love Bob's teaching about us confessing to one another in small bands and then offering each other forgiveness in the name of Jesus. It's amazing. My wife did that for me. I sat down. Lord, I am jealous and I'm selfish. Oh, And I worry about money that's probably a symptom of those other two but it's there oh Lord I am so sorry I I kind of listed off some of the ways I think that affects family it affects me obviously affected the sermon Uh, institution Lord I I don't know how do you pay somebody back for being jealous and self oh right you told me to do something with money three months ago and I didn't do it I kind of let it go by I'll do that today and, oh, this sermon. Okay, I'll risk doing this sermon, Lord. Okay, repentance. Father, I, I can't change. This is a deep, deep habit. It's a deep addiction. I desperately need your help. And I'm so grateful that I know that you're going to, that you don't expect, <laughs> yes, you offer perfection, and you're also there if I, when I screw up, if I screw up. Thank you for that, Lord. And then the most beautiful piece about asking forgiveness from Jesus, it's already there. When you ask forgiveness from another person, sometimes it's challenging for them to give it. But Jesus already did the hard work. The forgiveness is there. Anytime you ask forgiveness from Jesus, you can just say these words, thank you, Jesus, for already forgiving me. I accept it. Let's move forward. Thank you, Lord. That perhaps is the most exciting thing of this whole sermon. And we are supposed to be witnesses of that. Woohoo! The most important mission anybody could ever get. And then comes this really crazy part, and you are supposed to wait in the city. Okay, the disciples, right? They're hiding out in the city. Why are they hiding out in the city? Because if people find out that they were with Jesus, they're going to want to kill them too. So from the disciples' perspective, they need to get out of there. However, think about it from Jesus. I don't know all the reasons why Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. But here are a couple... Jerusalem is the gathering place for many people from all over the world. It's packed with people from every nation. And especially, now the disciples weren't thinking this, but we know it from our perspective. Ten days after the Ascension was going to be Feast of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost. On that day, Jerusalem would be packed to the gills because that was a major celebration in the Jewish tradition. Only makes sense. Start from Jerusalem, start when it's packed to the gills from people from all over the world who will then take that message out. And we know from our perspective that's what happened, but the disciples had no clue that was coming. All they knew is they were supposed to wait in this place where people wanted to kill them. Mm. The waiting place. That is a challenging place that Jesus often puts us into and doesn't give us a reason. He just wants us to wait because he has his reasons. If you want to hear more about maybe some of those reasons, watch Jake's sermon online. Okay. But he did something really cool then. Not only did he tell them to wait, but he helped them wait, which he often does with us. He did that with me during those four years with worship in this building. He gave them a a wonderful event that they could cling to. He ascended, right? And from that moment forward, they waited the way that Jesus tells us, wants us to wait, with joy and praise, constantly, constantly waiting on Jesus. What was the phrase in the Scripture? Oh, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Now, during those four years of quiet from God in my life, in the Radical Sunday School class, we talked about waiting at one point early on, and they really changed my perspective on waiting because until that point, I had had the perspective of waiting as this. You know, okay, maybe keeping equipment clean or reading a book or two. But they taught me that waiting is much more like a waiter does in a really good restaurant for the most important patron. Constantly attentive to that person. That is what wait on the Lord. I mean, this constant looking at the Lord, constantly just waiting, waiting. I mean, ready, alert for any small direction or instruction, right? Uh, think of a bird dog on point. which just will not move, so focused on that thing. And when you are looking at God that intently, you can't help but praise. Because you're looking at him. That is how we are called to wait. So, okay, back to modern times, modern days, the present. A week ago Wednesday, the Schweitzer staff spent a day discerning the answer to this question. Lord, what do you want to speak into Schweitzer? This was the answer. I'm calling you to prepare for... Oh, we want to fill in that blank so badly. By radically relying on me and each other, praying boldly and expectantly and waiting with joy and patience, I'm calling you to prepare. I don't know about you, but sometimes getting prepared the way Jesus prepares me is by cleaning me up like Saturday morning. It's challenging to go through, but so worth it on the other side. By radically relying, we'll talk about that blank more here in a second. By radically relying on me and each other. Man, we, we're focused on that. We're doing that. We're going to do that more. We've got covenant discipleship groups, bands, mentors, right? We're, we, we're talking a lot about we need each other to pursue Jesus well, individually and corporately. It's not a solo sport. Praying boldly and expectantly. Will you please do that? If you're not already, please start praying boldly and expectantly and gather with other people who want to do the same thing because we need to prepare. We need to stay focused and waiting with joy and patience. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Great worship great conversations, encouraging one another. Yes, these are the things we're supposed to be doing all the time. Perhaps one reason Jesus puts us in waiting places is to train us better for what we should be doing all the time. Uh, that's an opinion I'm throwing out there. I don't have any scripture to back that up. but Anyway, yeah. You know, I wish I was at the point in my life where I can look at that blank and be happy and joyful with anticipation. Now, yesterday morning when I wrote that sentence, I wasn't at that point, but now I think I am. I look at that blank and I'm kind of, yeah, whatever, okay? I have the scene in uh, uh, Gandalf sitting in, the, in a building in a, a city that's being attacked and he's there with a bunch of soldiers and they're standing at a gate and the gate is being pounded and the dust is flying and he turns to them and says, whatever comes through that door, we will stand. I mean, I've had... Disaster response experience. Joplin, seven years ago, was a Joplin tornado. So I look at that blank and I say, oh, bring on another one. We'll do it just as well. Actually, I say, no, Lord, we really don't want that. Uh, I, I also, boy, revival. Maybe revival's in there. I don't know. Frankly, we decided, we kind of had this, none of us has imagined yet that blank. Just like none of the disciples had any clue what would happen when the power from on high fell. They had nothing in their experience to imagine what that would be like. Hey, wait, wait, I'm two sermons ahead. Come back next week and the week after that to talk about that event, right? Yeah, well, here's what I can say in this moment. I trust there will be many happy moments and enjoyable time in all of our lives together during the remainder of our time together on this earth, right? And I stand here with gritted teeth. Hey, no tears yet. Woohoo! And I'm going to look you in the eye. And here's what I say. My flesh is not in charge. In accountability to Jesus and to you, I will stand beside you to joyfully and courageously move toward whatever is in that blank. Let's do it. And it's an honor to serve beside you, Schweitzer, and the church at this time in history. Thank you for listening.